Welcome to a football show, Monday edition, post-week one for the Tennessee Titans and post-week two for the SEC. Brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. My name is Braden Gall. His name is Zach Lyons. And if you would like to vent in the comment section today, please feel free. That is what we are here for. Meanwhile, Zach and I are going to vent about what we saw over the weekend. Titans fall 16-15 to the New Orleans Saints down in the Big Easy. Uh, obviously, we'll get to Ryan Tannehill's performance. We'll get to special teams, Tim Kelly's offense, Mike Rabel's decision-making. Lots of things to get to, the officiating, the secondary. So much to discuss. The usage rates on offense I find interesting as well. So lots to discuss as it pertains to the Tennessee Titans' 0-1 start to the 2023 season. D-Good, good to see you. Uh, there you are already making comments about Andre Dillard and the offensive line. So we'll get to that. Zach's got lots to say, lots of data to throw at you guys. So be ready for that. And of course, we'll do some rapid fire SEC football at the end of the week. Did you, or at the end of the show, did you hear from Mike Herndon on Saturday night at, at all? Did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pay? I mean, he did a couple of, uh, yeah. shit talking things at the end. That's good. That's valid. Yeah. Uh, te- Texas, uh, answering two of the largest, summer college football questions i can ever remember like in my 20 years of doing this mm. answer answered in one i, I, I disagree game. that they answered it they will uh, we'll kind of see we'll see how they keep on going keep on trucking but like i, I think both teams i think that's a, a maybe i think you we're don't, you don't know my questions you don't know what my questions yeah are. you well you tweeted it so you kind of okay. already spoiled right. it for me <laughs> well you 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 are the I one. I follow you on, on X, so, you know, I, I see what you say. I, I don't live There's Look, I, I know that I've been in the sewers for most of my professional career. There's only one, there's very few people that are more in the sewers than me, and you are absolutely, you take the cake on that one. You get the award, uh, and so you're right. You're I like, correct. I like that your Twitter account is part of uh, the sewers. Oh, every, well, isn't it the whole thing? Isn't the whole thing a sewer? Like one big no, giant? No, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm oh. above the fray. Oh, you're above the fray. Yeah. Well, I don't know I'm how you mean. I'm a clean, I'm a clean little boy. Clean little boy. That's creepy to say that. I am the eldest boy. All right. So Sinker's Beverages, of course, Kingston Group. Uh, let me remind you guys, of course, um, of the 50th anniversary party that's going on in Bluegrass Beverages up in Hendersonville. That, of course, this month, this entire month, celebrating the start of football season, both college and pro. Uh, they are the sister store to Sinker's Beverages in East Nashville. There's the logo right there. Of course, the number one liquor store in Nashville in 2022. Uber Eats Search. Right there, search sinkers, beverages, and have the booze delivered directly to your house. They drive so you could drink. Especially after Titans games. But their sister store up in Hendersonville, of course, the proud sponsor of football and other F-words. 50th anniversary month-long celebration began with a mini beer fest a couple of weekends ago. Coming up on the 30th, Saturday, September 30th at Bluegrass Beverages. Remember, come on by. It's a bourbon and tequila fest. It is how many dollars, Zach? Zero dollars. Zero dollars. Same number of touchdowns Ryan Tannehill threw. Zero dollars. Come on out. They'll have some bourbon. They'll have some tequila. They'll have some food. They'll have some other things available as well. So make sure you check that out. And if you want to jump, come join uh, the wine dinner the night before, Friday the 29th. Tickets are available. Five-course meal meal paired with all kinds of fancy wines. That is the opposite of free. Uh, all that money, of course, going to charity. But uh, go make sure you check out the, the Camus Wine Dinner at the Bluegrass Country Club uh, up in Hendersonville as well. And Kingston Group, buildkg.com. We told you how to build a win last week on the show, brought to you by Kingston Group. And I'm not sure how much of those things happened. Um, we'll kind of break it down. We'll start with, we got to start with Ryan Tannehill. And uh, well, how about this? Let's, let's, before we get into the specifics of the, the win or the loss, I, I want you to 
broadly give me how you reacted. Don't I know you want to go into data what, for the what do you want me to give you to re react to? Okay, let me let me lay out the most positive spin I can put on it to try okay. to make people feel good. And then you can create react off of that. Does that sound okay. does that sound good? I mean, okay. I I could put a positive spin on it uh if if you want, but I just didn't know I don't know which part I'm reacting to. Am Fair I enough. reacting Fair to the whole game to the to Ryan Tannehill? It's going to be, I've got kind of like a sentence that has formed over the last 24 hours. Okay. That, that if I am going to spin this in some sort of like week one is a liar, let's not overreact and, and make major conclusions in week number one. Look at the Titans other. really put that to the test. Yet, <laughs> yes, <they did>. <laughs> <laughs> but look at the rest of like the, the, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals look terrible and the Vikings lose at home to the Buccaneers and, and the Steelers Chiefs lose. The Ravens right. don't look good exactly. in a win. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had a lower EPA than Ryan Tannehill, which was that That's there's weird. a positive. <laughs> and, and, and um, like for the, and, and, conversations that we had all summer like the chiefs played their players the titans did not a lot of people going to go to well why why doesn't Vrabel they lose week one all the time yeah there's guys that play their guys in week number one in in the preseason and then still end up losing in the first week too so they don't look as bad i I guess that would be my argument (laughs) so here let me just lay this out to try to bring people into the happy space okay before we we take a big shit on all the yeah before we can kick them out of the house (laughs) all right First, first time Ryan Tannehill has thrown a football in the better part of eight months with a brand new offense, mostly an entirely new offense around him with the exception of Derrick Henry with a new offensive coordinator on the road in one of the loudest places you can play. And they had an opportunity to win the game in the fourth quarter. They had a lead pretty late in that game for the vast majority. And he played one of his worst games of his entire career. And you put all that together and they still could have won the football game. So to me, that like if you're going to spin it in a positive, it is look at all this garbage, and they still were in a position to win it at the end and had a lead in the third quarter. You know, that's um, not even including missed calls, incorrect calls. Um, that's not including also the fact that you know the. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like. They, they, like I said, they really put it to Ryan Tannehill really put the week one to it to is uh, a liar to a test yesterday. <laughs> and um, I thought that while I understand that it's coach speak, Mike Vrabel yesterday saying it's not on one player. And then today is like, I don't know what was up with the Ryan in the press conference on Monday. I don't know what was up with Ryan, but he has to play better, which sounds like to me. Someone actually went back and watched the film last night and realized that yeah, I think it was on one player yeah, because I know you're not supposed to back the bus over a player after a loss. I understand it, but Ryan Tannehill deserved all 17 buses to back over him and be thrown under that bus because he was horrific yesterday. But here's your positive spin. If you have to have one <laughs> statistically, it should be an outlier, right? I mean, like that is, Whoa, I just crap. spit everywhere. <laughs> You did. I don't. I don't know why. I didn't think it was that funny. But man, you really spit everywhere. Um, but I feel like it was. It statistically should be an outlier of a game, it's right? Computer. It's how my computer works. The rest of the show, by the yeah. way. Um, I mean, he hasn't had a game that bad since like his rookie year. Like that bad. Like there, I, there are games that he played bad in with higher stakes, but zero touchdowns, 
three interceptions. That hasn't happened since his rookie year. So can I explain why I just spit my coffee yeah. all over my computer? Um, you said it should be an outlier. And yeah. if you look at the numbers, the reason that made me react so much, and I sure hope everybody saw that on YouTube, by the way, uh, is is that it is it is the worst regular season performance of his Titans career. And you could argue the worst regular season performance of his entire NFL career, which makes it by definition, the most outlier of outlierish games in the history of his career. Because again, let me give you a couple of numbers. We all know the quarterback rating 28.8 worst of his entire 163 game regular season career in, in his, in his career, zero touchdowns and at least three interceptions. Uh, that's only happened. He's only had three interceptions in a game seven times, only one time in Tennessee in the regular season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was there was another one in the playoffs against the Bengals, but that but he threw a touchdown in that game. Um, it was this it was his eighth worst completion percentage at 47 percent, second worst in a Tennessee Titans uniform. Only other worst time in the Titans uniform was against Green Bay a couple of couple of years ago, 45.8 percent. Uh, it like statistically speaking, it was the worst performance that Ryan Tannehill has ever played in a Titans uniform. And again, you would argue one of the two or three worst performances of his entire career, regular season. And so therefore it's not just an outlier. It is the outlier of all outliers. It's, it's, it's the worst performance I've seen from a quarterback. I feel like since man, I want to say like Zach Mettenberger, (laughs) like I think Mariota, I don't even think Marcus has had that bad of a game from start to finish where he, it was that bad. Like it was, it was, it was so bad because last year over or over the summer stats came out, you know, talking about Tannehill. He could, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, 70% completion percentage or something or right around that to open receivers. And he missed so many open. Re- he missed two wide open receivers when thrown to him. That's only when thrown to him. Right. So like, yeah, that is a big outlier. And then if you look at the play action passing, he was 30% completion percentage on play action passing. That never happens. And that is that is insane. Those are insane stats. But what worries me about Ryan Tannehill, because I'm so confused, his arm strength, I don't know if he got hit and he got hurt. But his arm strength, I thought, was sorely lacking trying to get the ball into tight windows compared to how he normally is able to zip it in. All right. So I want to I I've seen some comments about that already. There's a lot of you guys that want to talk offensive line pressure receivers being open Tannehill's arm strength. There's a lot of things that kind of all go together. So we're going to try to kind of work them all together into the conversation. I want to go to the beginning of the game and the start of the season and sort of the first few series. It felt like Ryan Tannehill was seeing ghosts the entire from the start of the game. That the, there's one play early in the game where he has a clean pocket and he like stands and stands and stands and then like runs right into the back of Chris Hubbard, who's blocking, I believe, Cam Jordan at the time. And then he turns and kind of works his way back to the line of scrimmage. Maybe it was a no gain, maybe it was a sack, but he basically didn't have to move. He could have just kept going through his progressions and he felt. Like, you know, there's obviously a clock in your head when you're a quarterback and you sort of get the urgency that you I don't need know, to do. His clock was a little broken. But but to that to that extent, uh, like and I know you and I are going to disagree on the offensive line to some degree. I don't disagree a ton with you, but I think that he was under more pressure than I think the the analytics will indicate. Some of that was on him, though. Some of that was the way he felt it a little prematurely. He moved a little prematurely. 
and when on the run, did not make a lot of great throws. The under throws on the three interceptions. I, I don't. It's interesting that I, I rewatched it this morning, and I did not come away questioning the arm strength because I feel like there was a couple of throws. Like there's still plenty of throws that he made where he hits Nick Westbrook Akine on a on an out route on the opposite hash pretty squarely, you know, and, and frankly, the Chig and the Tajay Spears throw, which are the throws that we, you're talking about, where two receivers are wide open that, that would have scored touchdowns if he made accurate throws. They were like overcompensating for the three interceptions that were under throws to some de- to some weird degree. He was off. He was off. If you want to call it injured last year, new offensive system, new offensive line, new this crowd noise, whatever you want to call it, the system didn't look like the problem. We'll get to that. It, it looked like Ryan Tannehill up here uh, uh, in his head. I did not see the physical problems with Ryan Tannehill. I, I, he had no velocity in some of his throws, and he has had velocity. I'm not questioning really arm strength in terms of how far he can throw it, even though that he did, he was very inconsistent in that yeah. area. Yeah. I felt like he lacked velocity. He lacked zip. And it felt like the they were floaters. They were just kind of like you're waiting forever them for them to get there, and then you're waiting just for them to be picked off. And that's just not on the interceptions. This is on every right. throw that he attempted. I thought the overarching theme was he looked like Father Time got his claws into him. Is how I I felt. And there's it, there's that there's that conclusion thing being challenged. Yeah, <laughs> well, like that's that's like if if I'm looking at his per- particular performance and his throws. I'm like, man, how do I not think that maybe this guy just dropped off? And maybe because it happens, right? It's it could be very sudden for players. They can look good one week and then for the rest of the year, they're just looking bad. It's it's crazy how father time works. Only very few people can beat father time. I'm not putting my money that Ryan Tannehill is one of those few people. Yeah. But I am a little surprised that if this is the case that it is starting right now because all the reports have been really good from training camp. And so it, to me, his, his arm did look good. Most of camp, so I will say I, that. I'm still, I'm still on boat outlier, but yeah. I like, I'm teetering off the edge. Like if a, if a wave comes crashing through, I may just be in the deep end drowning, asking for a lifesaver <laughs> of by you, the USS will Levis. Cause Can, let me say this. If, if I, if, this whole Ryan Tannehill thing, I want to lean after saw, seeing them start Dennis Daly for 15 games last year, <laughs> despite all evidence to the contrary that they should. Ryan Tannehill's gonna have a lot of rope. Oh, now God, he I may hope, not have yeah. he he may not have as much rope as we think, depending on the level of performances from game to game. Like he may only have three games of yesterday's performance, including yesterday. Like if he plays that way in week two and week three, he's gone. It's very unlikely, right. but that's that's what it is. I'm skipping over Malik Willis. I'm I'm if he were ever if Ryan Tannehill is ever to get benched and the game is out of and the season's out of reach and they're just kind of done. I'm I'm skip over Malik Willis. Put in Will Levis. Let's just let's just do it. Because I, here's I, the. I think it needs to be longer. I agree with you. I needed. I think it needs to be longer than even two bad, two more bad games. It would have to be two more this level bad games. I guess. I I mean that. Listen, if you start zero and three, Braden, and you go zero touchdowns and nine interceptions over three games, that guy's getting benched. (laughs) 
I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I see it when you say it like that, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I agree, but let's say they're, they, okay, let's, let's do the thing that is the most likely. Like, let's say right. he has slightly, let's say the, not even most likely, let's like play out the worst case scenario, but it, even in the worst case scenario, they're still better than the games are still better than what he did on Sunday against the saints. They're, they're, they're going to be because again, he's never been worse. So like in 163 regular season games, that was the worst one potentially. So he, so let's just, let's add 20 or 30% of production, 40% production, whatever you want to call it. I think I had him going two and four in the first six games. It's the toughest stretch of the season. Uh, I would, I think that he has through that chunk to show that he's, he's still the starting quarterback. Cause I don't, I think, I think this conversation about like, Whoa, what about Willis? What about Levis? I think this conversation is a million times too early. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's, this. I don't think it's a, I don't think either guy is ready. I don't think they're, that gives him a better chance to win than Tannehill. And I, I don't, I agree. So I think it's too, way too premature and kind of silly. Uh, and, and I, I think it's, it's just mainly ifs, but I, I do agree with Stoney who says that hearing very belt depressor today made me think Tannehill might not have quite as long as the leash as we think, you know, We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of like teetering on it. How big of a leash does Ryan Tannehill get with two quarterbacks, especially one that they drafted pretty high? We'll see. The other thing is there are reports from people in attendance at the Saints game who are watching the sidelines because obviously the people in the press box are watching, you know, the, the game. But we're watching the sidelines saying that Malik Willis towards the end of the game was was doing a lot of warming up on the sidelines right behind Vrabel. Don't know what that means. Hmm. Could just be maybe they were gearing up for some trick plays if they got the ball back, which is dangerous line of thinking <laughs> if you're gonna put Malik Willis on the field in like crucial I, game moments. That, but that I, seems far fetched. Well, I mean, I'm just saying what happened. Yeah. I'm not saying that anything is coming from it. I'm just saying what really truly happened behind the scenes that we may, we are not privy to because of the broadcast angle. But I do think, you know. I don't know how many bad performances Ryan Tannehill can rack up before the bye week, right? Like, if if he's really just kind of like Matt Ryan-esque bad and they're two and four, I could see maybe a bye week change. But, man, that's 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 a guy that's, like him. Uh, that's what I was checking. Is the bye week after the Ravens game in London? Yes, it that's is. right. So it's, it's, the 20, it's after week six. The 22nd, so, 23rd. Okay. Yeah, so that's, like, the, that's the time to me, man. That's the time. You would think, you know, I look at I look at players that they continue to play that have built up less goodwill than Ryan Tannehill has. I mean, right. like Dennis Daly has zero goodwill and started all those games. Yep. But yesterday's performance was just so bad. I don't think that if you're if I think if Tannehill puts up like a two hundred and twenty yard, one touchdown, one interception performance, that that's good to them. I mean, I, unless it's I, like a back-breaking interception. Or well, something. that performance, that performance, it, and maybe it doesn't beat like elite teams. I mean, maybe it doesn't beat the Chargers in a shootout. But in that game, that performance would have won the game. Yeah, like if, if that that stat line you just gave us in that game on Sunday against the Saints wins the football game. Now, again, w- maybe that one throw is to Tajay Spears down the sideline where he puts it just literally like inches. There was another throw to Tajay Spears that was a very difficult throw in the corner of the end zone earlier in the game that was almost a unbelievable throw and it was like three inches too high so it's not i don't think that the Tajay whole thing Spears is, just have been a little bit taller <laughs> maybe if he had that acl uh which only was mentioned on the broadcast one time i was proud of the broadcast for only mentioning it one time i i think 
so to me, I didn't see like, well, yes, it was bad. And yes, it was an outlier. And yes, it looked mental. To me, it looked like he was seeing ghosts early and then he kind of settled in. There's a new system, new scheme, new O-line, new receivers, new everything. I don't know if he ever, I never really felt like he settled in. Like every, I've never felt less confident with Ryan Tannehill having to throw the ball than I did yesterday all through the game. Everything made me hold my breath or close like (laughs) one of my eyes. Like it was, that's how the the last two. So the last two drives though, I mean, the last two drives were like two of the longest drives of the of the of the game and he kind of needed to they had to throw a lot in those two drives and this is where i want to kind of get into how much help did he get because i think i think you and i would agree on over the top that like i think the players i mean look look, (laughs) there's a lot of good to like about what we saw from the scheme with tim kelly there's a lot of nwi was open a lot like the you know there was a lot of really smart calls the screen pass to derrick henry throwing the ball play action. I thought there was a lot of good stacking of plays where they'd pick up six yards and then they'd go right to play action. Like I thought there was some good stuff that, that Tim Kelly was, was doing. Um, but like there's some usage questions I have, you know, they, they fed the ball to Burks basically in like a really tiny period of time where he got like two good plays and then dropped a pass and then like wasn't seen from before or after Chig was targeted on the very first play of the game and got one target the rest of the way. Tajay Spears played more snaps than Derrick Henry. NWI played more snaps than DeAndre Hopkins. So I think we can que- we can ask some questions about that. Not necessarily bad ones, just sort of like, what do we make of this? And then I think we can discuss the offensive line. I, I probably came away from the game with a less positive review of the offensive line than you did, but we can get to that. So, Well, I mean, uh, you know, to me, it's like, I thought the offensive line started off bad. And then they got their footing and gave him a lot of pockets to get a lot of the stuff that Ryan Tannehill got pressured on that that looks like that it would be on the offensive line was because he got out of the, the pocket. He didn't stay in the pocket or he held the ball too long and they held up as long as they could. And, and it's an acceptable amount, right? Because Ryan Tannehill was one of the top 10 slowest quarterbacks yesterday. He was eighth slowest on all the dropbacks. He was sixth slowest on any pass that was attempted. Ninth slowest, 3.57 seconds on average per sack yesterday. And on the scrambles, he was 5.57 seconds, seventh slowest to get it out. And the offensive line held up pretty good. I mean, we're talking, they have uh, Andre Dillard, zero sacks which is a big improvement over over Dennis Daly. Sure, he yes, he had three quarterback hits, and he had three quarterback curries, but they pretty much left him up on an island. They pretty much left both him and Hubbard both up on an island, it felt like, a lot of the time when I was it, looking at it. Hubbard, I thought, played really well, surprisingly enough, over Cam Jordan, only allowed one QB hurry. Brunskill only allowed one QB hurry. Skaronski allowed a sack. That was a miscommunication between him and Dillard. To whoever needed to pick up the stunt didn't pick up the stunt. And, and I, I think the broadcast agrees with, with everybody. That's Skaronski. And Brewer allowed a sack. And he also had two quarterback curries. Two sacks out of the game on the offensive line. The other sack is on Ryan Tannehill. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a lot better than last year. and. I think that, like, at the end of the day, that's an acceptable offensive line stat sheet. Like, when you go in there and you look at all the offensive lines across the board, that's an acceptable one where your your quarterback should be able to do a lot with it, and Ryan Tannehill did nothing with that. 
So I think there's, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. And a lot of that's data. I, I think. I got that way from watching the game. So I was very pleased to see that the data kind of supported what I saw watching the game. I, I it's funny. Like I, I would agree that I saw improvement. That's the most important thing I think to take away, not only just from last year, but throughout the course of the game. But I did not see an offensive line that like controlled the line of scrimmage. I, you know, there was a couple of other times where Tannehill scrambled because he was pressured and went up the middle and got to like, got a gain of one yard that if he wasn't as athletic as he was, as he is, they would have been two more sacks. So we might be talking about five sacks instead of three sacks. Um, there was, I mean, they ran the ball. I think they had to kind of get away from it, but really they ran the ball kind of how they wanted to. But again, we I don't think they had to get away from it. And, they, and, they, and that's a whole really, other big part of the discussion of like, we've kind of got what we wanted. They passed right. a lot, but it was not the right time to really do it. <laughs> right. And and so I, I don't mind Henry and Spears being split like that. I, I actually don't mind. I think you've got to play the long game with Henry. Uh, you want to talk about a guy like Henry looked absolutely like Derrick Henry. He also looked like a guy getting close to 30. I'm not, I just, I'm, I don't have a negative thing to say about him, but 17 touches. I'm okay with 17 touches and Spears being in the game. Here's what's weird about Derrick Henry. And this is a little bit of an aside here. It felt like Derrick Henry was more a part of an offense and not the center of the offense is how it felt for the entire game. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell because we wanted more first down passing more dynamic weapons, more dynamic formations, all that stuff that we talked about. But then I can see, I can hear myself thinking and going like, oh, I think they need to go back to Henry here. I think they need to go yeah. back to Henry here. And so I, don't, I can't, I honestly, I'm kind of torn on, I don't want to see 36 touches in week one. Like, I don't think that's how they win the division, but. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. Um, you know, we, we talk about the offensive line. You, you Trevor Pitting got his ass beat. Like, just like we said, he would, right? We'll get, I mean, to, the, we'll was, get to the best part of the game. <laughs> yeah, but he was the worst tackle, not only on the field, but in the NFL and pass block win rate yesterday. Yeah, it was bad. So, like, he was pretty terrible. You know, um, I just didn't, I didn't Der, walk. Derek Carr still slung it for 300. <laughs> I walked away feeling that the offensive line started out a lot better as a game. So week one, game one started out a lot better than what I thought, which means that if you if you the offensive line it will take time to gel, and they get better as they get more reps together and keep on going, that's a good place to start from. Take it for what you will. Okay, the team pass blocking grade for PFF is the eleventh best in the NFL right now. Do I think that after watching a lot of games yesterday that they're the 11th best offensive line? No. Do I think that they're probably way better than what I think? I think everybody was really shitting on the offensive line to avoid shitting on the quarterback in some cases. Not, not a lot of cases, but in some cases, I felt like the X, uh, the the feelings on social media and stuff yeah, like that. Uh, yeah. We're trying not to say bad things about Ryan Tannehill. We're trying to make up things like, oh, the receivers aren't getting enough separation and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I call it like I see it. You know, I, I wouldn't make those excuses for Malik Willis. I'm not making those excuses for Will Levis, and I'm definitely not going to make them for Ryan Tannehill. We saw the offensive line or the offensive scheme work. We saw the offensive line work to an NFL standard, which was substandard all year last year. 
safety, and we saw people get schemed open. He missed three touchdowns. The Tajay Spears sideline, the Chig off the trick play, and at the very beginning, I don't know who he, who ran open, but it was a will fly route on the first drive of the game that he missed as well. And then maybe he missed four with the underneath uh, route that Chig was running where he threw to Chris Moore. Maybe that gets yeah. in as well. I mean, you would think that Chig, who, if he's going to be the tight end, everybody thinks he needs to be or can be. He could definitely get there in the I, end zone, or well, should. I don't even but, think I, I don't think you even need to say like, oh, that would have been a touchdown. That would have been a touch. I don't even think you need to say any of that about any of those plays. Well, like, I, I think just, I do just to say, say just say the that they, I'm talking right, specifically right. about the scheme. Right, the scheme I, like, worked to, exactly to me. Like the, the 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 overthrow or the underthrow to AJ uh, to AJ Moore to Chris Moore, and then Chig was breaking on the corner route to the outside, which is where the safety would have been going with him. Instead, the safety Marcus May drifts off and gets the deflection. It, that Chig was wide open on that route, so Tannehill has to read that and throw it to the out to, to there. And, and it doesn't to me. It doesn't matter if I think Spears is the only one that like clearly scores. Chig on the sideline probably scores, and the other one it doesn't matter to me. It was Chig a misread. definitely Chig definitely scores off the trick play. Pro I mean, he was wide ass open. There, probably, no probably that's well, a hundred percent play. Uh, again, probably. You just never know. Demario Davis had, by the way, this is another statement here. Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, uh, just really, really, really good football players. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore had a really good game, too. Uh, point, the point is, is like the scheme is what matters here. The scheme worked. Now, they did a lot of trick stuff. You know, Spears lead blocking for Henry out of the Wildcat. End of rounds with Traylon Burks, which, which they ran. Which was such a stupid choice, by the way. I mean, like, they yeah. always have to have one play where you're just like, what the fuck were you thinking? They, they got a lot. They got more cute in week one than I probably expected, but yeah. they they had to do something because the quarterback wasn't making plays. I think if we're trying to discuss scheme versus playmakers versus O line versus quarterback, it's it's no it's a no brainer where quote unquote blame falls. It falls on the quarterback, and so I think that's that's easy to say. It doesn't mean that the scheme can't be better. It doesn't mean that the offensive line can't be better. And I think your approach to the offensive line is correct. That they look better than last year but that I still need to see some progress before I start to say that they're, you know, again, top 20, let's say I, I, I I'm not going to go there yet. I just need to see it consistently. And and then we'll find out honestly what Raidens or MPF bring to the table. Uh, I think there's a, it's such a long season. Week one is a liar. We know all of that. Um, so we can, we can handle but not it. off to a great start. Like <laughs> I, I see a lot no. of people comparing this to the Cardinals game. This is a thousand times worse than the Cardinals. Like I just say that. I, I oh, you mean a couple years ago? Comparison, yeah. I think it's an erroneous comparison. I don't think they're related at all, other than the fact that they both both took place in week one of an NFL season and both resulted in a loss. Entirely different performance on the field than that one. Um, all right, we'll see how this this season goes. Now, here, here's the thing. And Rob go to Sinker's beverages, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Robert Greenlaw on Twitter. He, he, I think he put it best. And the Titans are in a rare win-win-win scenario. They're good playoffs, fun football. They're bad franchise quarterback inbound in some way or another. They're mediocre. We all die eventually. <laughs> there, there, you, there you have it. Um, I want to get to some of the decision making. We know the decision making was bad by Ryan Tannehill. Uh, we know that. 
we can say some pot. Do we want to say some positive things now, or do you want to do? Let's save the defense for for later. Uh, Nick Folk was pretty good, by the way. So we give it, it, look what look what happens when you spend a seventh round pick on a kicker. He go. makes all he makes all five of them. Um, I think the decision making is interesting. To to what we can talk Tim Kelly, we can talk Ryan Tannehill, we can talk Mike Vrabel. The challenging the challenge flags. We can talk officiating decisions. There's a lot of decisions we could discuss through this the course of this uh, this game on Sunday. Uh, of course, remember Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group are are great and amazing local sponsors. Please support them. Uh, they allow us to do the show for you for free every single Monday and Thursday. Uh, the the big one because you just cited a lot of data and a lot of analytics for the offensive line, and the big one is that from a data standpoint, from an analytics standpoint, the decision to kick the field goal with two, whatever it was, two twenty six left to go in the game was incorrect. Now I think. There are there's far more that goes into a football decision than just purely reading a, a, a sheet of paper with with percentages on it because of a lot of other factors. Um, so I we, we can get into this. I, I find the variable decision to be interesting at the time. I found myself split 50 50, literally going like I get why he would kick it. I get why he would go for it. I'm not sure where I fall on this. You got three timeouts and the time two minute warning. Your defense has been elite. How your your offense has not scored touchdowns in the red zone, fourth and six. Do I trust? Like I, I I understand the dilemma here, and I understand why both sides would argue the data tells you you have to go for it unequivocally, but the instincts, the football instincts, tell you to absolutely kick the field goal. So I I'm actually genuinely torn on on what the right decision was, and I know you are not. Yeah, I I think he made the right move because we we were all watching the game. You you can't. Make believe stuff does not matter to when the game is is has played out like it has, right? Like you you're you're trying to think that okay, this is gonna be the one play where the offense looks fucking functional. <laughs> like the most one of the most important plays that it looks functional. And if they don't, you pin them back. But to me, you take the points because you know that. Your kicker and your defense were the two most reliable things on the field for three and a half quarters. Up until that last drive, that defense was stout. They were doing a good job of holding up and getting the ball back into the offense's hands. The you know, Mike Rabel said on Monday, Nick Folk was five for five. I wish he was six for six. And <laughs> and he even said yesterday that there's no doubt in his mind that the defense was going to get the ball back and we were going to be able to kick a field goal. A field goal. Not score, not touchdown, a field goal. That tells you everything about where Mike Vrabel's faith was in his team at that point. It was in his, defense and in his, kicker. In his quarterback. And, that, and and that's that's where we all were. So I think that to throw out reality just because – you moved from 27% to 37% or 23 to 33, whatever it was on Seth Wilder's uh, Twitter account. It was like a, it was a 10% swing. To throw that all out because you think that they should go for it, even though everything that they have shown you, the players have shown you, says they can't do it. Like they just can't. They just all right. So, so I think this is this is this is what's interesting to me because the ESPN one, for example, goes from thirty three percent to twenty three percent. Yeah. If you go if you go for it on fourth if you go for it on fourth down, you have a thirty three percent chance of winning. If you kick the field goal on fourth down, you have a twenty three percent chance of winning. That is a significant decrease in opportunity and chance to win the game. Now, your point about reality is accurate. 
how much do I trust Ryan Tannehill in this situation? And and Pretty Boy Lipschitz says we couldn't score in the red zone. 0 for 3 yesterday. They were 2 for 12 on third Which down. Which is also an outlier, right? Like, that is an outlier sure. in they've been very good. entire career. Yes, they've been very good in the red zone. What's interesting to me is that I understand you're shortening the, the, the field by, by kicking the field goal. But you're still asking your offense, the guy that you just said you don't have any faith in, to go the length, not the length of the field, but to get you into field goal range. So you're asking the offense to go about 25 yards to score a touchdown with fourth and six. Or you're asking the defense to get a stop, right? You, you know, you, you're, you're, you know you're kicking off to them because you kicked the field goal, you're down one, you're giving them the ball. You, you're off, you're, here's the stat that I think is important for those who are in your camp that like the decision. The defensive line had given up 39 yards rushing on 23 carries. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are good at math, but that's a really good yards per carry average for the defense. The defensive line was absolutely dominant on, on Sunday. And we'll get to that a little bit more. I, I think there's one major takeaway from how the Saints attacked the Titans defense in that critical two and a half minute situation, which would have me concerned for the rest of the season because teams are just not going to try to run the clock out on you. They're just going to throw it on your highly injured and questionable secondary. But we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Uh, you're still asking Ryan Tannehill and they, everything that you've seen to go can do that though, go 40 yards, but they, they did that. They did that five different times. It's, it's they struggled when they got a shorter field. See, they were the inverse of the defensive backs. The defensive back struggle from uh, anywhere from the zero yard line of the, uh, of, you know, on the one side, they struggle from zero to 80 yards. But they're really good in the 20 yards area, 20 in the red zone. The offense was totally different. They lost lost eight yards on one field goal. So let's let's be honest about that one. They 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 went they went backwards eight yards and kicked a field goal on their first drive. So let's you got to take one of those off the board four times out of their 12. They still were in field goal range and they still guess what? Even with the penalty, we're still in field goal range. right? Right. But the offense didn't put them there is what I'm saying. They recovered the fumble on the Amani Hooker fumble. And they went backwards eight yards and kicked a field goal on the very first drive. They didn't. Ryan Tannehill did not move. Okay, well, he did it four range. times, Braden. I mean, let, okay, four times they out of twelve drive. No, four times out of twelve drive. They had and they how had many touchdowns times. did they score? Zero out of twelve <laughs> times. So, which is the worst percentage chance? Well, in reality, twenty three is less reality. than thirty. Twenty three yeah. is less than thirty three. Uh, four. They had twelve possessions, and on four of those drives, they had lo- they were longer than four plays. They were four plays and out. The robots did not take into effect what has happened in the previous drives of the game. They look at where it's at score-wise and historically at that point in time right. in previous stairs. They don't, they're not taking into account the other stuff. And that's why analytics is a tool for football coaches to use and not the end-all, be-all. It was the correct call based on how the entire game played out. I, I am, I honestly am still torn. <laughs> like I totally, even in the moment, I totally see your argument. My, my initial thought was, especially like watching football for 41 years. It's like my initial moment is, all right, the defense has been playing great. They can't run the football. You've got four times to stop the clock. Your quarterback on fourth and six. I'm normally I've, team go for I've, it too. Right, they, right. Yesterday, yesterday was the correct choice. It's just, I'm always on the right side of history. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe Christian Fulton shouldn't be on the field then. Um, I yeah, I kind of agree th- with that. 
that that was i mean he, obviously that was a, a critical blown coverage there where he just was playing the sticks and got got beat on that last play there i i see it both i i truly see it both ways the, the analytics data people that say look there unequivocally you go for it you're within the you're inside the 30 yard line you're never going to find yourself in a shorter situation and win the game statistically winning win probability like i i get where they're coming from i totally understand it and i'm with you normally there's also a difference between 33% and kicking a field goal and having like 90%. <laughs> like sure. it wasn't 33% is still not good. But it I mean like I think I understand that's better but it's still not good but it also didn't take into account everything else has led up to that point. I I think there's a lot of decisions that are generally 50-50 within what we would call like statistically the margin for error, right? Like that that there's no real impact on the game one way or the other. So you kind of make the decision as a football coach sort of, right? Like it's, it's within the margin of error statistically that that's a pretty big number. So I understand the nerd saying, look, th this is absolutely the, the wrong, the worst decision. A, a 33% chance of winning the game is statistically much, much higher than 22% or 23%. But again, I, my brain was telling me something different while I was watching it in real time. I was watching it in real time going, I don't, I'm, I'm surprised he's kicking it, but, I know what's happening. You're shortening the field and you're letting your defense and your kicker win the game. And that's, I mean, that sounds like Mike Vrabel <laughs> and how the game was playing out. So I understand both sides of it. And I know that's, you're, I'm supposed to have a take here and like be, you know, passionate about one side or the other, but I, I don't, I think we would be arguing about it either way, hey, no matter hey, what, no matter what happened. And, I, and I'll talk about this on football and other efforts as well. But uh, do you know uh, between Nate Davis and Daniel Brunskill who played better yesterday? Uh, well, somebody in our comments said that Nate Davis was the worst. He allowed nine guard. pressures <laughs> yesterday. And not only that, he had an almost 20% or 20 points less run blocking grade from PFF <laughs> than Daniel Brunskill. Just saying. Told you. Yep. So uh, liar, as, <laughs> as, as Stoney says, uh, conceptually speaking, I thought Tim Kelly cooked. Yeah, he cooked. Uh, there was a lot of times where the scheme clearly worked. Guys were open. Tannehill didn't find them. And, and we've already covered that. Um, uh, the, the, the go for it thing. I, don't, I We could argue about that until the end of time. And one side is going to say one thing. The other side is going to say another. And you can't really, you know, it doesn't always, even with data and analytics, it doesn't always work out in your favor. So um all right let you want to get to the defense real fast because there is yeah. some good uh, there was some good i mean deandre hopkins was, was was solid i thought tajay spears showed that he clearly is ready for sort of a high usage rate in in the offense do they need to force feed the ball to burks and chig maybe yes. a little bit more absolutely crap, absolutely but getting nwi that open that many times <laughs> a pretty good job by tim kelly uh but the but the biggest takeaway for me other than i thought special teams was was pretty good uh, the block punt aside Everything on special teams was really, really good. I, I would say that the defensive line, when you see Arden Key and Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry and T.R. Tart and Harold Landry even, I mean, they were playing him in space. They were dropping him into coverage. He had One five coverage he, snaps. I mean, that's pretty par for the course for Harold Landry. Right. I just mean, like, for a guy in his first game back from a torn ACL to feel comfortable. It wasn't very good. Him. Well, the the one against the lava, he was torched. There's no question about that. But that's to me, that's bad scheme. Mm -hmm. What I mean is, is that they feel comfortable enough asking him to run around in space. We can debate that that that's a good decision or not. Um, but I thought that that front was every bit the 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 scouting report. The secondary, well, I I went into it with higher expectations. Amani Hooker played great. 
Uh, obviously, in concussion protocol at the end of the game, really hurt the secondary. Christian Fulton was banged up with the hamstring early and then should not maybe have been back in the game. Sean Murphy Bunting got beat a couple of times. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great showing by by the secondary um, that was the the worst pass defense in the, in the NFL last year. It gave up three hundred to Derek Carr. Now there's some good weapons over there, but um, pass rush, as it says on the screen, excellent. Yeah, I mean that was that's the big takeaway. And in fact, I got like two little things here. Pass rush was excellent. The pass defense was not excellent. Uh, <laughs> But at the end of the day, I felt like that the defense kind of lived up to what we kind of thought it was. They did a really good job attacking, but I thought they did something that we had talked about uh, in building a win is they didn't put a man on Chris Olave, and I think that really hurt him because there was times where Chris Olave got matched up with the linebackers and there was a miscommunication there. Harold Landry as well someone should have just, you should have shadowed him and then, you know, bracketed the coverage to wherever he was at because that's the guy that could beat you. You know, Fulton on that last play where he doesn't even get, like, double, he doesn't even get juked. Right. The guy just goes deep. He even said he messed up. He made the wrong choice. And I don't know how many teams do this or how teams handle how far back the defensive back lines up across from the wide receiver. I know that based on what we heard from last, last year, the Tennessee Titans allow the defensive backs to make that choice. I don't know if they're responsible enough to make that decision. It's like, you know, if you, you, you're, they're not old enough mm-hmm. to take care of a dog. They may say they want a dog, but they're not old <laughs> enough to take care of a dog. So I, I don't know how you work around that with the the players that you got, but Arden Key, phenomenal. So much better than Bud Dupree. That was Bud Dupree didn't have one game like that where I felt like, whoa, that guy is here. You know, like that guy yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Bud Dupree didn't really ever have a game for us like that. And I thought that he looked really good. I thought Autry looked good. In fact, they were both in the top. Uh, 10 in uh, pressures generated. Uh, Arden Key's tied for first. Arden Key's also number one in pass rush win rate. And he was just like that last year. So this is not a fluke. This is a trend. It's not a fluke. I think that when Harold Landry starts getting a little bit more comfortable, a little less timid, because I do feel like he was a little timid. He wasn't his usual self at usual speed in certain situations. I do think this defense is this is going to be a weekly performance it's a week it's pretty much can the defense score more touchdowns than the offense that's what it feels like we're gambling with every week that's the the question will the the titans actually score a touchdown on offense this week or will they score a touchdown the second half that's what it feels like to me right now i you know i thought the middle linebackers you know it it looks like they're going to roll with al shayer and gibbons at most of the game most plays most formations most situations I thought they were fine. I didn't really notice them a ton, honestly, in a good or bad way, other than the the, the roughing the passer call, which it was what it was on Al Shair. Um, but the secondary, again, there was a lot of times where Fulton, even early on the first drive, was in position to make a play on Michael Thomas, and he just didn't. Like he just he 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 was in the guy's hip pocket, but he looked back late, and Thomas made a good play. Um, Bunting got beat by Thomas as well. Rashid Shahid, I believe, is his name, who mm-hmm. just. I, I think it was, oh, now I'm drawing a blank. I think it was the touchdown 
I believe it was Sean Murphy Bunting who jumped it. Was. it. He did a he did a, then, a double move on him, which ugh. was such a slight double move. I didn't even notice it. Like, well, and I think there was it. another route that was coming underneath yeah. that Carr was looking at. So that brought his he was looking in the backfield, and that's you can't do that if if you're in the red zone. So I, there's some questions there. Hooker needs to be on the field, man. The guy was everywhere. Special teams, defense, made plays. And, of course, he missed 11 snaps at the end of the, the game, which is, you know, you could say made, played a big role on, on why they did or didn't get one of those stops. Out of the 30 teams that played so far since Thursday, the Titans ranked 21st in dropback per EPA allowed. They ranked 23rd in dropback per success rate allowed. Uh, in rush EPA, they're fifth in rush EPA. And then their first in rush success rate. Only 16.7% of the rushes yesterday by the New Orleans Saints were deemed successful. Yeah, they were terrible running the football. Now, this puts them at, because of that drop back, we're talking like, that's how good they were, right, in rush defense. I just said, top five. Number one in success rate. That When you combine that and the EP and the uh, drop backs, they dropped down to 21st in EPA per play allowed. But in success rate, they're still top 10 in total success rate, only allowing 36.5% successful plays for the New Orleans Saints. You know, that's not terrible. You know what I'm saying? Five, five plays of 20 yards or more and another play of 19 yards. So six plays of 19 yards or more. That's a major concern. But the defensive line and the pass rush and stopping the run, not a concern. The Titans uh, were number three in and we're going to offense now. Number because these just came out, these just got released today just now. Ooh. So, number three in rush EPA. So, the, they had the best, the third best rushing offense yesterday. And, um, in drop back per EPA, they were actually 20th. They were higher than, listen, higher than Mac Jones, higher than the Falcons. Higher than <laughs> higher than Bryce Young, higher than Trevor Lawrence, because I'm going in yeah, order, go. by the way. So there Mac Jones, Desmond Ritter, and Bryce Young were all better than Trevor Lawrence in dropback per EPA. <laughs> then it's Deshaun Watson. Then it's CJ Stroud. Then it's uh, Josh Dobbs. Then it's the Kenny Pickett, who looked that offense looked horrendous. How did Deshaun Watson and the Browns win 24 to 3 with those numbers? Well, because the Bengals were 29th <laughs> drop oh, back for EPA yeah. and then the Giants were of course last. And, oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, that now that flips when you talk about success rate uh drop back success rate because obviously the there are some touchdowns for the Jaguars. They ended up going So listen to this. So they were that low in drop back per EPA. So per expected points added per drop back, right? So like twenty fifth, number or three in success rate. So that's the quarterback being a superstar. That's the yeah. quarterback. It's just crazy. You know who had the number? Who had the best success rate yesterday in sixty one percent? Tua. No, he was number two. Matt Stafford, the Rams. He's back. He's which back, that baby. To me, is a week one liar waiting to happen. He's back. He's back. Hey, this is the look. They've lost every single. Here's what's funny about this entire conversation. The tie, brought to you by Sinkers and Kingston Group, by the way. Please go check them both out. And Bluegrass Beverages. Um, the Titans have lost week one, I think, almost every time Mike Vrabel's been the head coach. I think they won one time. And they have had almost every outcome in the season. They've won the division. They've been the one seed. They've missed the playoffs. They had a seven game losing streak. They had another losing seat. Like 
They've done this almost every single year, and every single year it does not correlate directly to any particular outcome. So, like last year, their game, even though they lost to the Giants, probably should have won the game. So they actually probably played a little bit better, even though Barkley went off against them last year. Like the offense played much better last year <laughs> in yeah. the first game, and they ended up on a seven-game losing streak and missing the playoffs. And the year we'll before, see. they got torched by the Cardinals, and they end up as the one seed. Like, it, there's no correlation to what happened in week one. You can take some things away. The secondary still needs some work. The, the offense, okay, I like it so far. B-plus from Tim Kelly, but we need to see better. Tannehill, terrible. You know, some of the rookies, I like what I see. Like, there's there's plenty of little things you can take away, but you can't be too – you can't too, – too sweeping of a conclusion on week one is, is dumb. So. Number one pick's not coming. Joshua Medina says, now comes the number one pick. It's the only scenario left. No. <laughs> the, the most, uh, I guess, if I were putting a percentage of likely to happen, the most likely scenario to happen is that they're mediocre and it's going to be the 11th or 11th through 15th pick. Yep. Yep. That is and, the and likeliest. And right my, offici- my official prediction was that they are going to lose the division by a tiebreaker or a half a game or a one game. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what Ryan Tannehill. Uh, we'll see what Ryan Tannehill <laughs> is because I don't. I don't know, man. They may be even worse than that. Okay, all right. Some... See, don't go. You got them winning I'm the division. Saying, don't overreact. I'm just leaving for the possibility that right. maybe not everything is a liar, <laughs> but we'll see. I think that's. I think that's the right approach. Uh, I expect the Titans to play better. Does that mean a win over the Chargers? Tune in on Thursday, and we'll tell you. Uh, brought to you by Sinker's Beverages. And the Kingston group. Okay. Uh, quickly here, rapid fire SEC. Uh, what you got for me? You can you can fire at me if you want to. The the thing I posted on Twitter that we talked about earlier, yeah. which is that there were two large questions all summer long that are sort of like big picture. They're not about any one particular player or season, really. It's is Texas ready for the SEC? And are there concerns about Alabama's dynasty? And I thought the answer to both of those, I thought the answer to the Alabama question was was premature to even try to answer it. I thought it's it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Uh, but Texas clearly proved that they are ready for the SEC. It doesn't mean they're going to win anything or that they can win championships or whatever. But but their dudes looked like they are on par with SEC dudes, and that is what matters. So to me, Texas answered that question definitively. Are there concerns about Alabama? I think we can start to ask that question. It's the first home loss since 2019 for Nick Saban. It's the only home loss by Nick Saban ever by double digits. First time at home, they've lost by 10 or more since 2003 as an institution. They still have Ole Miss. They still have Tennessee. They still have LSU. They still have Auburn on the road. Uh, the the I think it's fair to say I still pick out. I'm still picking Alabama to win the West. I'm not changing that. So I don't I, I'm not moving off of that. Not too I think big Texas, of concern then. I think Texas is that good. But are they like with Georgia doing what they're doing right now? My I think it's fair to say that Alabama has slipped a notch and has to reprove itself. And that was clear on Saturday night that the questions about Alabama are fair. And I thought Jalen Milrow was, you know, pretty solid. Like, I don't think he was terrible. I think he was fine. I was watching the game with Stoney and our wives at a, uh, a brewery in Hendersonville. And uh, we, we kind of just sat there and we just kind of noticed that Nick Saban wasn't being shown at the t- on the TV hardly at all, which is very odd. And that just kind of led us to believe Alabama's probably not winning this game. There's something about when you don't see Saban a lot on the sidelines, like being filmed or, you know, being his reactions being caught or something's up, just something's fishy. 
I don't know. Do I have concerns about the dynasty? No, I really don't. Um, do I think that Jalen Milrow is playing good? Yes and no. Like I thought he played good enough to be a quarterback to win that game. But I think that again, it's kind of like the UT game and a couple of their, a lot of their games last year, penalties were just awful. And, and like, it was penalties that killed them too. I'm not as mad about the pass interference penalties because they save touchdowns. Theoretically, you know that was the point. Of, I'd rather them take that than because it's just 15 yards, not from the spot, yep. than the touchdown go. Yeah, there were a lot of boneheaded penalties that killed a lot of the momentum. I, I think that Nick's got to, and he's wanting to, but he's got to get back to the ground and pound defense wins games we're gonna play defense better than your offense could play offense and so, I, I feel like he's kind of gotten away from that i don't know if that's a recruiting thing or what but it feels well, like he's kind of let the, that slide it's funny you say that because i one of the things I, I tend to like just write notes down on saturdays like it's all over like it goes from kansas to utah to tennessee to the big 12 to miami like i just write down notes as things pop into my head and i write them all down and one of the things i wrote down watching the bama game like they've had elite pass rushers. They've got Dallas Turner. They've got Will Anderson, who, by the way, had a pretty good game in, in week one for, for Houston. They've had some elite dudes coming off the edge, outside linebacker type guys, right? Those hybrid three, four guys. But what built the dynasty was the elite alpha male in the middle. Like the, mm-hmm. the elite, like D'Amico Ryan, Rolando McClain, Dante Hightower, like you keep going down the list, like the dog in the middle. And I know that was an older school type of football. But I can't remember the last, unless I'm just drawing a blank on like who the last superstar middle linebacker was for Alabama, like the way that N'Kobe Dean <laughs> yeah. and, and these guys for Georgia are now that guy. Like I can't remember the 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 alpha in the middle of the Bama defense. And maybe I'm just maybe I'm wrong on that. And they had a guy like three years ago that I'm just blanking on. But like I didn't look it up. I just wrote it down. I wasn't expecting to talk about it today, but yeah, I I mean, I think Rashawn Evans, I guess, right? Because I think he's the I, I last guess. first rounder to be drafted, right? That would have been, six, that been six years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. They've been able to mask everything else up with elite running backs, right? Like, okay, maybe if you did at one time, they they had an elite running back and elite linebacker in a in a time where neither of those should be value positions, but yeah, it worked. That's right. Like it worked, and. Then they started shifting to, okay, we're getting all these elite wide receivers and we're getting these elite quarterbacks. Well, now the well has run dry. That's kind of what I feel like. The well has run dry and they're not replenishing at a fast enough rate to keep maintain success. Well, I, th- I think the running back room is actually really good at I think Alabama it's okay, this year. But it's not, it's not up to snuff compared to other times. This is one of those weird situations with with the quarterback to me at Alabama that is sort of asking a question about where the game is. Because Jalen Milrow, in any other year of college football, losing the most productive quarterback in Fran- in school history who won the Heisman Trophy and led his team to the national championship game and an SEC title in Bryce Young, going to Jalen Milrow 99.9% of the time is what every university has to do. Mm-hmm. You, you just You have to do it. And you have to go, and he's not. He, this was not some like two star walk on. Okay, this was like a four star recruit, Ty Simpson, five star recruit. I, I I wonder if the game just demands something different at like Jalen because there was a couple of throws that he missed down the sideline where he missed by like a couple of inches. 
And what you do when you go from Bryce Young to Jalen Milrow is you probably sacrifice a tiny little bit of accuracy down the field, obviously. Uh, and then, of course, he hits <laughs> Jermaine Burton on like a beautiful throw down the field to like take the lead. It was just a great game all around. But I think I think people are so fast to say, oh, Nick's got to go to the portal. He was too stubborn. He didn't go get a quarterback. And I'm kind of like, you don't just go find Bryce Young out of the portal. Like what? Well, and he, what I'm not really about? too upset with, I mean, they also got backup quarterbacks that are, if you're going to go anywhere, you go to the backup quarterbacks. I'm not too terribly upset with Jalen Milrow. I don't know if I really put anything on, on the onus on him. I just think it's like everything around him. There's not, there's, doesn't feel like there's a position group where you're just like, that is for sure the best in the nation, right? I mean, like that's, because that's I, I, and I, mean, I got, that, they also have some they also have some freshmen who are playing like left tackle, safety, running right. Back. Like they've got some really good true freshmen. So it could turn into that. That's why I'm not too concerned right. with the dynasty. Yeah, I'm just more concerned about the now, and uh, I'm I feel like that when you look across the SEC, it's a little bit more even than what it has been. But I will say, like, Joe Milton's been playing uninspiring football, kind of like what we predicted, right? Yeah. Like, we kind of thought that. He's been uh, uh, Texas productive. A&M, not looking yeah. too yeah. too hot against Miami. LSU, Jaden, you know, in the previous week against top-tier talent, not looking good. Of course, Already got Alabama. Yeah. Listen, if you put Alabama up against FSU, I'm not taking the I'm not taking Alabama in any uh, – I, I think you have the right, right there. The right takeaway is that Texas and Florida State are better than we thought. Or yeah, I'll take it back. Texas is better than I thought. Right. I knew Florida State was this good. Uh, but I think that's the point is that and because and, because in my college football circles, both online and, and off conversations are like, well, Nick's too stubborn. He's got to evolve and got to go to the portal. And that's why he ended up with Tyler Buckner and Jalen Milrow. And and I'm like, that's like what? Like, I, I just yeah. I don't I don't, I don't see that, that as it might just be that the rebuild is more than one year. And for Alabama, that still means two plays away from being 12 and 0. like uh, rebuilds for Alabama are different than rebuilds for everywhere else. I mean, Jackson Dart looked really good for Ole Miss mm -hmm. at, at times. They also were trailing for most of that game against Tulane on the road. I mean, A&M Tulane's backup quarterback, by the way. Right, exactly. And then they pulled away in the end and Jackson Dart does make a spectacular play on, th on fourth down in, in the red zone to win the game and a couple of big throws, but like they weren't elite. I thought that was a really good win, though. I mean, Connor Wigman didn't look bad for Texas A&M, but the defense was atrocious for, yeah. for them. Auburn looked, and Tim said this, if Bama, you want to feel bad about your quarterback, just go watch the Auburn-Cal game. I stayed up and watched, like, two and a half quarters of that. It put it literally put me to sleep. Like, that's how bad the offense was in the Auburn-Cal game. Uh, Mississippi State was fun. Will Rogers is pretty good, but they needed overtime to beat Arizona at home. Like, Tennessee struggled against Austin P. Uh, you know, Spencer Rattler's already been beaten by North Carolina. Florida's already been beaten by Utah. Like, I just think we're in for a crazy year. And Alabama and LSU both still have everything left to play for in the regular season. Um, and I just don't think we know exactly yet who's who's. And I don't think we not. know exactly yet what Georgia is because they they play with their food, right? Like they they've haven't. It's taken a while for them to beat up on the and get going. It takes a couple quarters, it feels like, and and maybe they're maybe that's why they put these cupcakes at the beginning. So now you know, okay, well we're working out all the kinks, we're getting the slow yeah. stuff out of the way. Now we're coming for you, so we'll see. But I don't feel like 
right now, I feel like any game in the SEC is all, uh, almost a toss-up. And by the yeah. way, can yeah. we say something? I am. I have no clue what targeting is anymore. The Vanderbilt game, there was a couple other games all week. Everybody's like, missed targeting call. What is targeting? I don't know what the, targeting is anymore. The Bears, uh, the Be- obviously... Uh... My my daughters were were happy to watch the Jordan Love era begin, um, and I'm glad to see that ownership of an NFL franchise does transfer from one starting quarterback to the other. I, li- I uh, like that uh, tweet I saw. What what I think is great is or not great, but like to your point about targeting, there was one play where Jaden Reed gets punched in the face, <laughs> like, like on a pass play where he's trying to catch a ball, he gets punched in the face with two hands, and they were like, "Nope, it was clean." <laughs> I was like. What are we talking about? And it didn't affect the game. Like, it didn't affect yeah. the outcome. But I was just like, what? I was just talking specifically about college. College was just insane with missed targeting yeah. calls and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm floored. I'm floored by it. So, uh, what did I say about Joe Milton during the summer? I said he's going to be one of the, he'll be the most productive quarterback in the SEC. And the Tennessee will be two games worse. Uh, right yeah. now, I think he's been very productive, but very inefficient. And mm-hmm. I think they need to, they need to make him more efficient. Because guess what? If they play like that, Tennessee against Austin P, they play like that against Florida in the Swamp this weekend. They, they could get beat. And uh, yep. so they I, I bet you they're a lot better. I bet you they, they slept walk through that game and took overlooked it. And I, I imagine that they play much better football moving forward. We got lots of really good SEC games to get to uh, coming up, though. To your point, Ole Miss, Kentucky, A&M, Arkansas, Miss State, Auburn, Tennessee. Who fucking knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's it's not, be- not a cakewalk for anybody quite yet. No, it's going to be great. And it's why in my playoff predictions, and you can check the receipts on this, my playoff predictions were Georgia, Florida State, USC and Penn State, new blood in the playoff. I State is not looking good either. New blood in the playoff because all the teams we're used to, Clemson, Alabama, both have already lost. Ohio State, Michigan, you know, all these teams, Oklahoma. I think there's new blood in the playoff this year, and I think it's because of the just the weirdness of college. Be interested to see how ratings work when that's the case. Well, if if it's Caleb Williams and USC versus Penn State. That is a television executive's wet dream. Yo, like, really? A Heisman Trophy winner against Penn State. That is a, that's a huge ratings number, but especially with new teams. That that's that would be enormous. There there are more people in Chicago than the entire state of like Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, South Carolina. The the Big Ten does better ratings. <laughs> Just so people know. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Go to Sinkers. Go to Kingston Group. Check out the Bluegrass uh, event coming up on the 30th. The, the, the tickets are available for the 29th, the night before. Stackintheinbox.com. What do you got for the good folks coming up this week? Uh, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about the Saints. I've been waiting on these stats all damn day to come up so I can put out an article. Uh, so, um Gonna have that. We got some Dylan Radin's film room. We got some Joe Milton Ooh. film room. Ooh, different things working this week. Joe Milton film room. I can't wait for that one. I can't. I can't wait. Um, and of course, uh, football and other F words. Check that out as well. I'm assuming there won't be any conversation about Texas and Alabama on that one. <laughs> so make sure. I, mean, I didn't uh, didn't talk shit on the podcast last year when Alabama won. I I keep it I keep it clean. This you're is, a gracious you're a gracious a, winner. That is an NFL show, not a college football show. Well, it's it's also a personality show. And you are a gracious winner. I don't know if Mike is. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. You know in. what's funny is that I control the mute button. Well, don't don't mute him. Be a bigger yeah. man than that. Uh, well, he needs to be the bigger man. I don't have to. If he's not going to be the bigger man, he's the bigger man physically. He might as well be it emotionally <laughs> and mentally as well. <laughs> there you have it. Thank you to all you guys for hanging out. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group. For Zach, I am Braden. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.